Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Value Guys Stock Talk Show. Say that three uh, times with fast. The Value Guys. I'm Val Hughes. And I'm Momentum. We are 30 year Wall Street veterans that had to take on secret identities and go underground in order to provide you with our candid views on a handful of stocks that we screen here in the shop each week. You've seen our faces on TV, you've seen us quoted in the news, but our bosses would never allow our unfiltered views on the air, so we've disguised our voices and they'll never know. This week, we look at the March 23rd, 2012 edition of the Value Guys Stock Talk Show. But before we get to that, a couple of important caveats. First, this show is for entertainment purposes only, that's not a guarantee. Secondly, uh, Mo and I are uh, analysts and portfolio managers during the week. We do a lot of uh, very careful fundamental research. We interview management teams. We review financial statements. And we've done absolutely none of that here. So if you're looking for that, you're going to have to tune in somewhere else. Third, uh, this is just a hobby for Mo and I. So, you know, we may not have your best interests in mind, and we may be recommending the opposite of what you should do. So make sure you do all your own work. And then finally, uh, we've been drinking. And, uh, and so, uh, you know, what have you. Uh, what are we drinking this week? Um, I think that was just some type of martini. I wasn't paying that careful of attention. You had, you had vodka and uh, yeah. uh, anyway, fruit juice. Yeah, fruit juice. Um, see all our disclosures and lists of what we generally are drinking at www.thevalueguys.com and there's links to past shows and uh, there's a best ideas list. We've been keeping uh, best ideas list for about five years and you can click on that. Also, uh, recently I found some really cool data somewhere. It's uh, about 200 years of data on the U.S. economy, which is pretty cool. That's on the site and then, I don't know. Have you put anything up there lately, Mo? You got some recipes or something up there? We've done the uh, vacation we have some, photos. We have some data too that we've unearthed. That's right. And that right. goes back um, eight thousand years to the Paleolithic. Yeah. Uh, so that's been posted. So that's all. All right. Um, okay. Well, uh, this week we're going to do a couple of things, uh, but uh, we're going to get to uh, three pretty good stock ideas in a minute, and I'll just tell you what they are in case you want to skip ahead to that. Herco Companies, ticker H-U-R-C, LMI Aerospace, L-M-I-A, and M-L-R, Miller Industries. So uh, you could skip ahead, but in the meantime, uh, anything going on, Mo? I don't know. Uh, they, I haven't seen they, you in a while. They, um, Congress is passing an insider trading law. Well, thank goodness. You know. Now they know. Now they know how we felt when they yeah. outlawed it. Yeah. I mean, back in the 90s, those were great days. They're, they're if, we're, if we have to suffer, they have to their suffer. Their returns are going to all plummet now. That's right. So I mean, what's they... going to happen is once they taste this medicine, they're going to uh, repeal the law, and then it'll be legal to insider trade. Will we all get trade. back to insider trade? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what's going to Those were the fun happen. times, weren't they? Were they were great times. Yeah, now it's all about fair disclosure and not knowing what other people It's a phase they're going through. Yeah. 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 But I would say, you know, it, it does it does suggest a good reason to do fundamental research on small companies because no one has the time to do it. So if you right. do it, you have a chance to earn outsized returns. I just throw that in. And and which of which Congress will not be uh, participating. You know, we have uh, two of the the three stocks we're talking about. Two of them, one 
has only one analyst covering them. Speaking of that, oh yeah, coverage, and the other only has two analysts yeah. following it. So yeah, they're not exactly very high up on anybody's radar screen. Well, to these uh, these real small names, even the coverage they do get, and you know this, Mo. Uh, you know, the only reason they have coverage, because the trading department can't make any money on that. There's not enough stock. There's not enough flow. Right. The only reason you're covering it at all is because the bankers want to make a good impression and they want to do an acquisition or a no. or No. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. That would be a conflict of interest. Well, not for the bankers. But? But then they come down to the research department, our department, and they start trolling around. And they're looking for someone to pick up that stock. You've been on the end of these conversations. I think the technical word is ho. Well, they come in your office, they might put their arm around you, hey, Mo, how you doing? And you're like, oh, man, and <clears throat> what's going on? And they start telling you about this cute little company that... Makes dog food and, you, <laughs> and really is right in line with, but your, they have an edge. with your telecommunications <laughs> expertise oh, and why you should be the person following it. And so, you know, you kick them out of your office, but eventually they find a guy to do it. And you know what? It's a junior guy. It's a guy that probably doesn't exactly know how to go about this, or he's just taking right. the ideas from the corporate finance guy. I know there's Chinese walls, ladies and gentlemen, but there's also elevators and lobbies. And, and so, uh, you know, I don't, I don't think there's any rules being broken. Bankers are allowed to try to find people to do these things for them, but it ends up being guys. So my point, when you see one or two guys on there... That means no guys. Yeah, no guys. <laughs> <laughs> right. All um, right. Economic well, trends. Yeah, I want to bring back a segment that we tried doing a few weeks ago or a month ago, and then some intervening events came in, as uh, many of you know, and it, it, it kind of put that to the back burner. But tonight, I want to get back to it, and it's a little segment of the show I like to call Paging Through National Economic Trends. And I'd like imagine a little, like some trumpets right now. Yep. Bump on, what have you, okay? Kind of sends uh, a tingle down your spine yeah. when well, you when you think about that. People want to know. You know, people want to know. The presidential candidates are out there. They're talking about stuff. You know, people are worried about the economy. It's a hot topic. And I would just say, uh, for years, since I started my career, and even before that, the St. Louis National, uh, the St. Louis Reserve publishes National Economic Trends. It's a click away, and I'm going to be paging through that right now. So... It's a kind of a long issue, and so... Uh, We're going through all 700 pages, so I you did. may want to skip ahead. Well, I already went through it in advance. I went through it ahead of the show. I tried to be prepared. You know, Mo, you're bringing this whole level of this idea of let's be prepared for the show. I mean, I'm, 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 I'm was not, not used to idea. it. I was not I'm not used idea. to that. Uh, so, but as a result... Wow, I, you have notes and everything. I wrote something on this page. <sighs> all right, this is page 12, and it says... Uh, uh, they've updated this report through yesterday. That's the nice thing about going to the site, although this page is only up to date through March 13. But on page 12, I would just note that there's a little chart here called Debt Service Payments and Household Debt Outstanding. And for the first time in 30 years, back in the middle of 08, uh, household debt outstanding started going down for the first time in 30 years, and it's been going down, and it's still going down, but the tangent of that is starting to move up, and it looks like within a quarter or so, households are going to start to be willing to borrow again. I mean, if the bank will let them. 
but it's coming along with incomes and things like that. And that should be a little boost to the economy because right now we've only had enough money to spend that's below what we're actually earning. And, of course... Uh, what an odd concept. Yeah, it's to, uh, very to spend odd. spend below very, what you're earning. I know. It's very uncomfortable. Who does that? Well, European uh, countries. That's must, why they're in so much trouble. They must do that. But uh, we're about to be in a, in a position where debt might start growing again. And I don't want to say that's good in a moral sense, but from an economic point of view, with interest rates at you know very low levels, this could be that little boost to the economy. Sure could. There goes consumer for. spending. So that was the first thing uh, I wanted to mention. And then the other thing was they have another chart here that says debt service payments as a percentage of your total disposable personal income. So what percentage of your income are you spending on your debt service? And this chart shows me that we're sitting right at 11% right now, which hadn't been reached since 1993 two. or 2. Yeah, it's been higher than that. So I might flip this around and say there's a lot of dry powder to the extent that Households are willing to spend up to fourteen uh, percent of, you know, disposable personal income a few years ago. Now they're at eleven. So to the extent that people, uh, in the last chart I talked about, they're going to start borrowing more. This chart, they're going to start spending more as their confidence improves. And there's a lot of room there, as you could see. It's probably twenty percent of uh, their disposable income is available to. Uh, I'm sorry, not twenty. Uh, that's more like two, but it's a 20% increment is what I'm trying to get at from 11 to 13. And when that happens, we're also going to see a little wind at our back in consumer spending. So I thought that was noteworthy. Well, it's also interesting because all three names that we're going to talk about are basically plays on a, uh, on a recovery, on a business recovery. And if that dry powder chart or that dry powder theory makes sense, That'll, that'll be a big boost for all yeah. three companies we're going to talk about. Yeah, now here's another one. And if I'm spending too much time in this show segment, somebody call me up and tell me. But on page 13, a couple of important charts I saw here, My, I think they're important. One was, why are we, you know, improving? Well, there's a chart here that says autos and light trucks, millions of vehicles sold. And a couple years ago, we were selling 11 million uh, back in 2010, and 09 isn't even on this chart. And now we're at 15 million annual rate. That's a 40%, a little less than that, increase in, uh, in a, you know, auto and truck sales. And that's powerful stuff. These things are cost, you know, they cost money. That's $30,000 uh, a pop. So that's pretty powerful of a driver. And then uh, on the same page, the Consumer Sentiment Index from the University of Michigan. I don't know why people look at this exactly. They're always depressed. But to the extent that uh, we started seeing a recovery in sentiment in 2009 and 2010, it fell in 11 because, you know, we had a little bit of a weak GDP. But it's rocketing up right now. And that probably is in sync with, you know, buying cars. And, are, and if you look at that increase, there hasn't been an increase that has been that steep since before 2007. That's right. So it's exactly. a real, let's put that in perspective. Yeah. And then the final thing I want to say, I mean, this is a long issue, this national economic trends. I, I really had to struggle to keep it to only four things. Maybe you should just do one state Maybe randomly instead of the national, you know, I, that'll be a yeah, smaller right. charts. 
Arkansas yeah. economic trend, something like that. Yeah. Well, okay, this one's on page 14. I just went in page number order. Uh, and I'm looking at a little chart that they call real residential fixed investment. So the money going into... Uh, Fixing presume, up residences. Well, new homes. <laughs> yeah, fixed. fixed. So this wouldn't be mobile homes. Oh, this Only would be the fixed ones homes. fixed in place. Ah, that's yeah. the kind. Or I thought they were fixed because they were broken they before. Been broken they had been broken. Well, that may be. Refixed. But this completely excludes the important mobile home category. Yes. So I, I but, want people but to... Still, but still, the most of our of, Most of our listeners are in mobile homes. It could be. I know uh, they're very comfortable, and uh, but, but that's that's another story. That's another podcast. Um, back in 05, the investment in real residential properties started to go negative versus the prior year. Back in 05, so this is even before anyone was talking about mortgage crisis, housing crisis, Bear Stearns crisis. No one was talking about this, and yet if you were watching this chart in National Economic Trends, you would be in the know. And what you see is since then, that was about the third quarter of 05, <coughs> the investment in residential properties has been negative. It blipped up at the beginning of 2010 for one, it looks like it's just one month or something like that, quickly fell off. And uh, and and now for the first time since then, it's got two solid quarters of positive growth. So again, all these little trends are kicking in that suggest that there is indeed an economy uh, repairing and improving. Uh, and I thought that was worth uh, mentioning here, Mo. So anyway. Uh, okay, what else we have going here? I guess we should just get to these stock ideas. Yeah. Or do you have something to talk about? Or? No, I no. don't. All right. First up, and I'll, just to remind listeners, uh, the Value Guys Stock Talk Show is a show about doing a screen to find equity names. And rather than just pull them out of a book that came in the mail or something like that, we are going to the actual resources we use here in the shop, in the small cap value shop, to drive an inbox of ideas for the analytical team to work on. So we're just bringing you right inside here. I mean, we're in my office. So uh, this, this is where week, it happens. What, what do you use as a screen? This week, I think last week we used a, a, just a straight PE screen with right. a little bit of a debt-to-cap filter. This week, again, staying very simple, and I'd love for listeners to understand how we do this. So I actually just went and used Yahoo Finance, and, uh, and that's uh, a free resource that they provide. And you go to yahoo.com, finance.yahoo.com, and there's a stock screener in there. <clears throat> it doesn't work exactly for Mac owners, so you need uh, Windows. Uh, it's a very simple one for Mac owners. But I did this one in Windows, and I simply screened for stocks that are under $2 billion in market cap. So that's a general rule of thumb for small cap. And... Uh, at least for purchase, you might own them until they're four or five billion in size, and then you'd have to sell them for size. But I kept the screen to under two billion, and then two simple uh, criteria. One was I want an enterprise value to sales ratio below one, and I want a debt to equity. I prefer to screen on debt to cap, but debt to equity is fine too. Debt to cap is simply. Uh, 
you know, debt divided by debt plus equity, and this is debt divided by equity, so what have you. But also, uh, <clears throat> on this one I did under 1, which would be uh, roughly a 33% debt to cap uh, ratio. And uh, about 30 stocks came up, which is great, and I went through every one, and actually Mo and I both did, and we came to some uh, conclusions about our three favorite to kind of do some more work on. So that's just a little background. First up, Herco, ticker H-U-R-C, and it did pass that screen. So it's trading with, at an enterprise value to sales ratio of 0.7. And uh, I don't see the debt to cap ratio here on the sheet I'm looking at, but the debt is zero. So that helps me understand that it's 0% uh, debt to cap. Um, you know, interestingly enough, on that screen that you ran, all three companies came up with zero debt to cap because they had zero debt, which is sort of an interesting byproduct of that screen. That's what, So you're going to see that in the next two names. Yeah, I like that. So what was attractive here was we had the valuation up front. This is an industrial technology company, and I'm just getting this out of the 10K. It designs, manufactures, and sells computerized machine tools consisting primarily of vertical machining and turning centers to companies in the metalworking industry. Now, <clears throat> I, we don't own this here in the shop, but We've had some management teams come in that talk about uh, industrial cutting, and there's a big uh, effort and a lot of penetration now coming in lasers. And the uh, the materials we're looking at here, uh, we, we honestly we didn't obviously uh, dig overly deep into this um, to the extent of how much of their business is lasers. I can't tell you, but that would be a question. And lasers are bringing enormous economies to the customer. And so um, this is an area that, as the economy ramps, uh, the cutting-edge guys are uh, – that was kind of a pun, I guess uh, – are uh, beginning to see a lot of business because the technology has changed, and you don't want to use the stuff you had five years ago, and so they're seeing a big uh, replacement cycle. The company puts up, uh, you know, mid-teen they're, – they're, well – in good times, they put up mid-teens mid <clears throat> EBITDA margins. Uh, they're still improving from a downturn. Obviously, they lost money in 2009 and 2010, but they're doing nearly a 12% EBIT margin here in 2012. And to get back to the old peaks, you have some room up to 16. Sales are still recovering as well. Uh, sales in the last 12 months we're 180 million. Uh, the old peak is 224. It's forecast for 200 this year. So part of the idea here, and we talked about it through our paging through economic trends segment, but the economy is getting better. Part of the idea here is these industrial companies are going to grow into this. We're apt to become capacity constrained pretty quickly if the recovery continues. And so uh, I'm going to guess they're going to be a little bit in the uptick of that. Uh, over the next uh, 12 to 18 months. Um, core products are, uh, you know, general purpose. So they're anything industrial uh, they're going to be involved in. I also think there's a little bit of a trend. You know, you read about this. Chinese wages are getting to the point where U.S. manufacturers, uh, if they're building plants that have to last 20 years, it's no longer automatic that you build that factory in, uh, in, in China. And, of course, 
uh, we're now talking about, I think both parties are talking about the need to reduce corporate tax rates so we're internationally competitive. That's another reason why I think uh, these guys will do well. They're a small company. They do sell domestic. I think domestic could be gaining share. And they're selling at six times EBITDA, which is a 16% cash on cash return. And I think there's a bit of upside here, both in the margin and in sales over the next couple of years, Mo. So that's why I take an interest in it. Yeah, I think of the three names, I think this is the one that I like the most. You know, um, you were talking about um, uh, international exposure, and I thought you were going to go in a different direction. So let me throw this on the table. This is a little company. It's a, you know, its market cap's 175 million. Yeah. So it's very <clears throat> likely that this is really an entirely domestic operation. Yes. And when you think about the companies in other sectors that have got big European exposure, you know, even if the U.S. limps along at one and a half percent growth next year, it's going to look a damn sight better than Europe. Yeah. So you might have Europe dragging down some companies. So that's another advantage of a small cap name where you have a pure domestic play. I like that. Um, and, you know, it looks like the sales have started to rebound. The margins are really rebounding. You know, margins have gone from the negatives in the last two years yeah. during the recession. They're at 12% now. They've been as high as 17%. As the sales continue to recover, you should see those margins go back to a more normalized basis. So usually have this as the progression. Sales recover, check that box. Margins are recovering, check that box. The third is it gets reflected in the stock. Not check that box. It really hasn't been reflected. So I no, think that right. as, as there, there's a little more visibility to this recovery, you'll, that's when you'll see the stock react. So I, of the names, ooh, I like it the best. You're giving that important tidbit away in advance. I couldn't help it. Yeah, myself. you couldn't help it. Yeah. This thing is so compelling. Okay, next up. What was that? That was our next stock. Oh, okay, well, uh, let's move along. <laughs> All right, what have you. All right, uh, next up. Am I going alphabetical? Oh, yeah. LMI Aerospace, ticker LMIA. Also past the screen, so again, that's the beauty of screens. You already know some of the information because you've screened on it, obviously. Uh, this has an enterprise value to sales ratio of 0.9. Now, you might say, Val, why do you use an enterprise value to sales ratio? Well, that's a good question. There's a lot of great companies that are apt to go up a lot over the next two years that in the trailing 12 months are losing money. That's why they're going to go up a lot, because they're going to go from a period of losing money when no one's interested in that to making a bunch of money. And I want to find those, as you should. If you do a PE screen, guess what? Those are negative PEs. You don't screen for negative PEs generally, uh, although I would recommend that you do. Very high negative means somebody that's losing just a little money. Think about it. So a PE screen doesn't work real well for those companies that are around break-even that you might want to find. And so you can capture them on an enterprise value to sales ratio. And all you have to do is say, well, what's the net margin this company is going to earn in a normal period? Right now it's negative. And obviously, if I thought it was going to stay negative, I'd have no interest in it whatsoever. But there's something you like about it. It's in an industry that's growing relative to the economy. It's got the best product. They're showing that through a high gross margin. Maybe they overspent in sales. Who knows? But by using an enterprise value to sales, you'll pick that up, 
you can impute a margin based on what you think they might do. Maybe it's 5% or whatever it is. And you can work out the PE that you think it would be selling at if they weren't losing money. And, you know, that's why we use that. We use that here in the shop <clears throat> along with other screens. But it's an important one to put into your toolkit. So I thought I'd just take a moment there, Mo, and explain why in the world am I doing that. And that's on Yahoo Finance, and it's free. So that's cool. Um, these guys have a 0.9 enterprise value to sales ratio, and they aren't losing money. A 7 multiple on EBITDA, enterprise value to EBITDA. And remember, uh, I like to flip that around and say EBITDA, earnings before interest taxes and depreciation. I think of that as a cash flow, certainly before I've spent money on capital spending, but I'm going to suggest that Money I spend on capital spending is a net present value positive event, or I wouldn't be doing it. So I don't want to double count or subtract when I should be adding and things like that. I'm going to look at the EBITDA as cash flow. Enterprise value is the price we have to pay to own the company. And by looking at it that way, I have a bit of a yield. So seven times, one over seven is about 14%. That's a 14% cash on cash return, and I'm going to get a little growth. And, uh, and so I'm interested on a valuation basis. The company, and I don't think I mentioned this, Mo, would you like to? Does it matter? Say? It doesn't. But they're aerospace, defense, technology. Uh, again, the theme that as the economy picks up, uh, these are areas that uh, didn't spend money in, in, in the worst of the recession. In fact, we didn't say this, but one of the reasons these guys lost money is that, uh, no, I'm, I'm thinking of the last company, but you know, they, their sales dropped $100 million back in 2009. And so uh, LMI, um, they didn't see quite that decline. It looks like they were picking up some, some business. But we're moving out of a very difficult demand period into a much better period. And uh, the, the, these guys are seeing a 15% growth rate this year. Their EBITDA margin is moving from the you know, 11 12% range to 15 uh, net margins are moving from mid-single digits to upper single digits. The one thing I'm not thrilled about here is that their return on assets is low. You know, it's single digits. They don't have any debt, so the return on, to speak of, so the return on equity is also low, right around 10%. But whenever I see that in a company that's got decent margins, um, I think that they just forgot to write off some things or they're wed to it emotionally and they don't want to write it off because... You know, if you're earning something, you know, if you're earning 8% on something, unless it's uh, a junk bond, at least in corporate America, you, you know, maybe maybe it's not worth what you have it on the books for. I don't know. And, unless you just acquired something and had to pay 12 times earnings, then that's kind of what it would be at. But in any case, LMI um, looks interesting to me. Same theme, a little bit of growth, cheap stock, that kind of thing. You know, I got to look at it from a from a momentum perspective, and uh, you look at the 52-week range in this stock, and it's gone from 15 to 25. That's 63 percent. So I think there's a lot of good news out there for the stock, but it looks to me like at near term, it's probably fully baked into the price. You know, you um, you mentioned that the margins are are have expanded from about 11 percent to almost 15 percent, but. You know, if you kind of look historically, you might have two points of further extent, uh, of expansion there. So it's like, ah, maybe. Um, what you saw in this stock is what I'm still rooting for in Herco, which is first you saw the sales recovery in 2010, 2011. Then you saw the margins as the sales expanded, the margins expanded. Boom, you had this hit 
to earnings and the stock reflected it. In Herco, that hasn't happened yet. We're still a little bit further back in the process. That's why I like Herco. This, I sort of think, uh, from, from a momentum standpoint, is baked into the stock. All right. Well, seven times EBITDA. That's what I got. All right. Last up, ladies and gentlemen, uh, Miller Industries, ticker MLR. That's not Dennis Miller Industries, is it? I hope not. Uh, let's see. These guys, these guys, no, certainly not. Uh, they manufacture vehicle towing and recovery equipment. So trust me, I don't look at that first. Tow truck industry, yeah. you don't really think of it as a big, yeah. a big industry. And uh, they do wreckers. And they do chassis. And, uh, you know, again, this is one of those companies that was clocking along at $400 million in sales. And then no one needs a wrecker, you know. So back in 08, 09, sales co collapsed. They went from $400 million to $270 million. In 09, they went down again to 237 And I would say the interesting thing about this company is uh, – you know, they did not report losses Yeah, during the big down. During that period. They lost, uh, you know, not a, a third of their sales. And, you and know, they it's stayed a, profitable. And it's a big, they have 760 employees, so it's a big company. It's not like it's some little company that could all of a sudden just lay four people off and maintain their margins. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that was impressive. It was impressive. Now, why would I think about recommending it now? Well, you know, these guys are at a 3.2 enterprise value to EBITDA multiple. That's almost too low to believe, so something's probably up. This deserves a little work, but that type of multiple is certainly worthy of spending the time on it. It's, uh, it, it trades in a range, this is five years, of nine times EBITDA at the high and uh, 2.9 at the low, so it's near the low end. Uh, now, they're in a low multiple industry. You know, it's a, it's an, largely an assembly business, so in some sense it's a little bit of a commodity. I've been in some of these factories, and they're just big giant warehouses with big boxes of equipment and people putting stuff together. It's not a – you're not welding anything or anything like that you've been you've, you've been to a tow truck factory? Uh, yeah, well, they, they don't – I don't know if they make the trucks. Vehicle oh, they, towing and recovery equipment. Ah, maybe the winches and stuff. Yeah, puts on. Yeah, I think you put this stuff on a truck. Okay. Hmm. Of course, it says wreckers and trailer bodies. So oh. I, I almost think that thing goes on a truck. It makes sense. I'm not makes sure sense. about that, but uh, you know, so they can scale up and scale down. But um, again, the same theme we've been talking about: going to get a recovery. Um. The thing is uh, trading cheaper than it usually does. I, just to most point from the last stock, I'm not sure you're going to get a ton of margin expansion here. We've seen that. But I do think that you will continue to get some um, revenue expansion because a lot of these things were just put on hold, and we're now starting to finally see a little bit of a recovery. And to the extent that some of these things are bought as municipal vehicles, um, you know, those guys are going to be the last ones to recover. And uh, and so, you know, to the extent that um, it's had a little bit of a recovery here, I do think you may have another year or two of that down the road. So Miller Industries, MLR, oh, also $4 in cash on a $16 stock. I like that. That's part of the reason it's cheap. Um, MLR, Miller Industries.
Yeah, and you know that's I, not my best work, Mo. I, I tell you what, though, they they pay a dividend, so you know that's that's a you know here's here's a just an, a total of a side. I was yeah. noticing when you had mentioned that, you know, Miller, I was thinking of Dennis Miller, and I looked, it was actually founded by Bill Miller. But here's an observation. Not this, that Bill Miller, though. A different one. Yeah. This company was founded in 1994, so yeah. it's 18 years old. Yeah. They have uh, 760 employees, so they have been adding 42 employees a year for 18 years. Anybody that thinks that small businesses don't drive the employment in the United States has got to look at a company like this. 42 people a year. Think about growing a comp- Think about growing your company if you had 42 new people every year for yeah. 18 years. That's too many people. Well, maybe, but um, so uh, nobody covers it. Only one company. So that's kind of interesting. They've had. They're going to have this year. They're going to have some tough comparisons because last year in the first quarter, they had a big pop in in sales, a commensurate pop in. Uh, yeah. Um, well, I see the estimates for a down in, in earnings Q1. So, so you might want to let that wash over. Yeah, it's going to be a tough comparison because they already had this this big blip. So everything's suffering as a result. Everything from, you know, the margins to uh, even sales comp. So, but it's that's a. That's a harder one to call, but um, you know that, that everything's on the up and up, everything's on the recovery. But uh, might be, it might be a best to sell. Well, they got a, they got a couple smart guys in here. We're looking at this thing that shows the uh, owners, which you know you can get at Edgar. Uh, dot com. Uh, Hodgkiss and Wiley owns it. They own four percent of the shares. Columbia Small Cap. Core fund, two percent of the shares. So Frank. So they do have some institutional. Yeah, there's some smart people that are in it. So like that. So, uh, so I guess that's it. We don't really have anything else. Some weeks we do four stocks, but we might have done a little bit too much drinking and not enough stock selection this week, Mo. But well, I think it was a good mix. So well, thanks for listening, and everybody appreciate it. Uh, Of course, this has been the value guys. Stock Talk Show with the value guys. See all our disclosures, uh, indexes to past uh, shows. We've got some best idea lists, photographs, and uh, what else? Not much else. www.thevalueguys.com. Thanks for listening in, everybody. Have a good weekend.